Hey, this is Nadine. This is John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week, we'll be reviewing John's list pick that Dan and I forced on him, The Princess Bride, which was released in 1987. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you think about it, it's no longer my pick then, is it? Oh, it's your pick. Don't worry about it. He claimed this movie so that Dan and I couldn't fucking use it, but then he would never pick it. So this time we were like, no, you have to pick it. You don't get an option. It's Valentine's Day. It's a romantic movie. I, it got fucking happening. forced yeah. on me, man. I got. Uh, I was so mad about it. Dude, you would have hated the actual pick you made, so just... No, like I, I, just like, like, I love this movie, but, you know, I was just like, I was waiting for that perfect time, you know? And then you guys are like, now! And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. You even brought it up in the last episode. But anyway... Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> oh, shit. Now I have no excuse. This is actually something I've been curious about with this movie, the uh, the box office stats for it. It had a $16 million budget, opened to a $206,000, so not, not a crazy opening, but it did gross over $30 million worldwide, 10 nominations, and then won seven awards. And it has 8.1 stars on IMDb, and of course it's a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I mean, what do you expect? And then a 94% on... Uh, for the audience score. To say the least, it does not surprise me to see the uh, the score of 98% and 94% for the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, and because that's just, that is ridiculous. But it actually makes sense, because this movie is really just pleasant to watch more than anything else. All right. Nadiner. So, interesting movie facts. When asked what his favorite thing about making this film was, Andre the Giant replied, without skipping a beat, nobody looks at me. He felt treated as an equal without people staring at him because of his grand size. Mandy Patinkin has said that the role of Inigo Montoya is his personal favorite over the course of his entire career, which is interesting because this movie is a cult movie. Obviously, there's a lot of people who do love it. I think it's one of the more popular cult movies, but it's still a cult movie. It's not like a classic or anything like that. So it's crazy that a cult movie is his favorite role that he's ever done. Robin Wright and Carrie Ells, they were swimming with each other, naturally helping their chemistry in the movie. Ells said that he couldn't concentrate on much of anything after the first encounter he had with Robin. We'll say, though, that uh, that that man is gorgeous to begin with. So, I mean, it was a blessing for Robin in this situation because he is a stunning individual. All right, continue. Carrie, Carrie's the one that says that when he met Robin, he couldn't concentrate on anything else. Just so you know, that's, that's, that's. Oh yeah. But he's, he, <laughs> but the thing is though, is that he's, he's he absolutely very gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> okay, go. When Count Rugen hits Wesley over the head, Carrie told Christopher Guest to go ahead and hit him for real. Guest hit him so hard. At shut down production for a day while Els was going to the hospital. <laughs> that's actually hilarious. <laughs> so Manny Patinkin claims that the only injury he sustained during the entire filming of this movie was a bruised rib due to stifling his laughter and his scenes with Billy Crystal, which makes sense. Billy Crystal's pretty funny. Director Rob Reiner left the set during Billy Crystal's scenes because he would laugh so hard that he would feel nauseated. Who was Billy Crystal again? Who'd he play? Miracle Max. Oh, okay. All right. I just don't know the exact names. God, get it together. <laughs> Miracle Max. I love that man, dude. <laughs> According to author William Goldman... When he was first trying to get the movie made in the 1970s, a then-unknown Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to play Fezzik, and he was strongly being considered because Goldman could never get his first choice under the giant to read for the role. Writer. Uh, this movie would not be the same if Arnold Schwarzenegger would, no. was in it under at the all. Giant I'm sorry. The right choice. He might have ruined the movie, actually. No offense to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, this is just not what he does. No, not at all. Anyway, writer William Goldman was on set during one of the flame burst scenes in the forest when Robin Wright's dress caught fire. Although Goldman knew this was intentional, he was so caught up in the moment that he shouted her dresses on fire, thus ruining the take. Rob Reiner and Andrew Scheinman recorded all of Andre the Giant's scenes on tape. With Rob doing Andre's lines during rehearsals, Andre would walk around with headphones with that tape playing all the time. It worked great, and they didn't even have to loop his lines. The giant rodents were created with actors inside rat suits. On the day Wesley was supposed to wrestle the main actor, Danny Blackner, he was nowhere to be found. Finally, Blackner arrived on set with a long story about being pulled over for speeding the night prior on his way home from the bar and subsequently putting, being put in jail for a few hours for drinking after the police officer didn't believe his story about having to work as an actor slash stuntman playing a rat. <laughs> in order to create the greatest sword fight in modern times, Carrie and Manny Patinkin 
trained for months with Peter Diamond and Bob Anderson, who between them had been in the Olympics, worked on Bond, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, and the Star Wars films. When they showed Robert the sword fight for the movie, he was underwhelmed and requested that it be at least three minutes long. Rather than the current one minute, they ended up with a three minute and 10 second fight, which took the better part of a week to film from all angles. So, I mean, they wasted their time basically is what, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Despite his character, Fezzik's almost superhuman strength, Andre the Giant's back problems at the time prevented him from actually lifting anything heavy. Robin Wright had to be attached to wires in the scene where Buttercup jumps from the castle window into Fezzik's arm because he couldn't support her himself. Most of the movie was filmed on location in England. The castle used for the film was Haddon Hall. Three bottles of cognac and 12 bottles of wine reportedly made Andre the Giant just a little bit tipsy. When the cast would go out for dinner, Andre would drink out of a 40-ounce beer pitcher filled with a mix of liquors, a concoction he called the American. Jesus. Can you imagine drinking that much fucking alcohol? I can't. I mean, I drink a lot, but that's a I lot. Mean, <laughs> I mean, a 40-ounce pitcher of beer? I mean, I can manage that. But if you start adding liquor into it, nah, I'm good. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's a shit ton. Anyway, there really was a dread Pirates Roberts. His name is Bartholomew Roberts, also known as Black Bart, who operated in the Caribbean in the early 18th century. He is reckoned by many to have been the most successful pirate of all time, which I completely disagree with, but I'm not going to get into it. Before filming, what did you say? <laughs> I said thank you. I'm sorry, but there is other pirates in Asia that had way bigger fleets. They were like the biggest fleets in the entire world. And for some reason, this guy is more successful. I'm not really understanding why. But whatever. They had a fucking island. One of the pirates had it was a king of pirates in Asia, and he had an island. Sorry. All right. Anyway. The only one that I actually really cared about Pirate Rise is going to be Anne Bonnie, because the female pirate that's really successful just makes me happy for some reason. Well, one of these Chinese one was a female pirate. I'm pretty sure she had a fleet of 100 ships. Yeah, it just makes me happy whenever I hear female pirate. It's just like, yay, go, go, be, be you, do it. You know. um, <laughs> right, before filming, Wallace Shawn Vizzini had come to understand that he was second choice for the part after Danny DeVito. Although there is some confusion about whether DeVito was ever even seriously pursued, he became convinced that he was wrong for the role and in danger of being fired at any moment, which he does seem like that type. I'm going to be honest, he's he looks very anxious all the time. The names that Inigo and Wesley refer to in the chatty duel sequence are all actual fencing terms named after their 14th and 15th century proponents. Max and Valerie, played by Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, respectively, were named after the author William Goldman's parents, Max and Valerie. Although Christopher Guest plays a count in this film, Count Rugen, the six-fingered man, in real life, he is actually a baron, fifth baron hating guest of Saling in Essex in the peerage of the United Kingdom. Not even fucking kidding you. That's amazing. Right? He plays a count, but he's actually a baron. So Uma Thurman auditioned for the role of Buttercup. She was thought not to have the classic princess looks for the part. To be fair, oh. Uma Thurman. Yeah, she kind of doesn't. She doesn't. And to be fair, Uma Thurman looks like a like a badass. And Princess Buttercup was supposed to be like a flower. Yeah, you know I mean? Uma Thurman looked kind of like almost almost like villainous a little bit compared to uh compared to because I literally just googled her. Leave me alone. But I uh, she looks a bit more villainous. Dude, we literally just watched we watched Kill Bill. I, She's in Kill Bill. That's Uma Thurman. Oh, that's Uma Thurman? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, this is awkward. Dude, I'm not good with names. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm not either, but I'm not this bad. Jesus Christ, John. Also, also Vizzini, right? <laughs> why, is it, why is it that every single character literally acts the same outside of the set as they do in the set, it seems like, from all these facts? I don't know. That's, that's so good. I love it. All right. So, I'll do the movie synopsis and get this over with before I get too buzzed. The movie starts with a young boy playing video games while homesick. As the boy plays video games, his mother comes in to tell him his grandfather is there to visit him. The boy does not really seem that excited that his grandfather is there, but begrudgingly allows his grandfather to read him a book called The Princess Bride. As the grandfather reads the scene, reads, the scene fades into the story in the book. The book begins showing Buttercup as she orders the farm boy Wesley to do chores for her. As time goes on, the two begin to fall in love, and Wesley decides to set out to sea to earn money so they could properly marry. However, Wesley's ship was attacked by the dread pirate Roberts, who is known to never leave anyone alive. Upon hearing the news of Wesley's death, Buttercup swears to never love again. The scene then switches to five years later, 
where Prince Humperdinck, the greatest name in the world, announces his engagement to Buttercup even though she does not love him. After the announcement, Buttercup rides her horse in the woods by the castle and happens upon three men in the woods who ask her for directions. When Buttercup tells the three men that there's no, you know, village nearby for miles, the three kidnap her to start a war between the Gilder and Florin. As the three leave with the unconscious princess, Anigo and Fezzik disagree with the plan to kill her to start the war. Vizzini insists, though, that this is the only way, and then the three then set off to the cliffs close to the Gilder border. That night, Anigo notices another boat following and gaining on them as they're getting closer to the cliffs. While the three men are distracted, Buttercup jumps into the water. As she swims away, she hears a shrieking sound coming from the water and stops swimming as Vizzini... Viz, Vizzini... That, that name is so difficult. Vizzini explains that the shrieking eels become louder just before they go to eat human flesh. Just as an eel's about to eat her, she's pulled out by the water by Fezzik the Giant. The next morning, the three arrive at the Cliffs of Insanity just moments before the ship behind them does. The group then rushes to climb up the rope on the cliff as the boat that had followed them docks. As they climb, they notice the man who is following them is gaining on them as they climb too. Once at the top, Vizzini orders Inigo to cut the rope he is climbing on. Despite their efforts though, the masked man following them is able to grab on the face of the cliff when the rope is cut and begins to climb it to get to the top. Frustrated, Vizzini orders Inigo to stay behind to watch if the man falls from the cliff, and if he doesn't, to kill him in a sword fight. As Inigo waits, he gets impatient and swears to the masked man on his father's grave that he will not kill the masked man until he reaches the top if Inigo gives him what's left of, of the cut rope. The masked man agrees, and when he reaches the top, Inigo gives him time to catch his breath so the fight is, fair, is a fair one. As the two wait, Inigo asks the masked man if he has six fingers on his right hand, and when the man does not, Inigo explains his father was killed by a man with six fingers on his right hand. After their talk, the two begin their sword fight with regrets that one of them will most likely die. During the fight, both reveal that they're actually not left-handed, and Inigo is not only impressed with the masked man's skill, but his acrobatics, that he insists on knowing who the masked man actually is. After refusing, the masked man then corners and disarms Inigo, then knocks him out as he does not wish to kill, but does not wish to be followed either. The scene then shifts to show Vizzini Frustrated as he sees the masked man running across a field towards him, Vizzini then orders Fezzik to stay behind and kill the man with a rock. Well, Fezzik does not really like the idea of killing the man so sneakily, with, you know, not being sportsmanlike, and instead fights the masked man in a fistfight. With some struggle, the masked man manages to win by making the giant go unconscious and again goes after Buttercup. The scene then switches back to the edge of the cliffs to show Humperdink is tr tracking the princess and her kidnappers as well. After correctly describing what happened by the cliffs, he then has his party follow the masked man's tracks to where Fezzik now lay. The scene then shifts to show the masked man finally catching up with Vizzini and Buttercup. When he arrives, he can see that Vizzini is holding a knife to Buttercup's neck because Vizzini knows that he cannot best the masked man physically. The masked man then challenges Vizzini to a battle of wits to win the princess, and Vizzini accepts with a dubious laugh. The masked man then sits and secretly puts poison into a goblet of wine and lets Vizzini choose which goblet is without poison. When Vizzini picks, he believes he has tricked the masked man into drinking the poison wine, and then after making fun of the masked man, Vizzini promptly drops dead. As the masked man unties Buttercup, she asks who he is, and he refuses the answer. She then marvels at his drink being the one with poison in it, to which the masked man admits both goblets were poison. He just happens to have an immunity towards the poison. The scene then switches to show Prince Humperdinck at the scene of the fight with the giant. Humperdinck again correctly describes what had happened and is off again towards Vizzini and the poisoned wine. Once there, Humperdinck again finds the masked man tracks and follows him after him and Buttercup. The scene then switches back to the masked man as he orders the princess to rest. Buttercup then declares that she knows that he is the dread pirate Roberts and that he killed her only love. The two then get in an argument about Buttercup's faithfulness, just as they hear the horses of Humperdinck's party gaining on them. Using the distraction to her advantage, Buttercup then pushes Roberts down the hill, only to find out that Roberts is actually Wesley. Regretting what she'd done, Buttercup then throws herself down the hill after Wesley rolling after him. The scene then switches back to Humperdinck declaring that he believes that the two are headed into the fire swamp. The scene then switches back to Buttercup and Wesley, as Buttercup rejoices in finding out that Wesley is alive. 
As the two go to kiss, the young boy interrupts his grandfather story to ask him not to show the kissing scenes and just to skip to the fire swamp. The grandfather agrees, but only because his grandson is sick. As the grandfather begins to read again, the scene shifts to show Wesley declaring Humperdinck to be too late just as they're entering the fire swamp. Once they enter, Wesley declares that the swamp isn't so bad, as the trees are quite lovely just before the swamp spits fire from the ground, lighting Buttercup's dress on fire. As the two continue through, to, through the swamp, Wesley explains how he survived and became the Dread Pirate Roberts. Distracted from what Wesley had told her, Buttercup manages to step into quicksand, prompting, prompting Wesley to follow after her to rescue her. As the two are in the sand, an R-O-U-S, rodent of unusual size, walks by, alluding to a possible new danger that the couple has to face. Once out of the quicksand, Wesley quickly realizes that they are surrounded by R-O-U-S's and tries to distract and comfort Buttercup from the fact by moving him forward. One of the R-O-U-S's then attacks Wesley and manages to injure him just before Wesley kills him. The two then rush out of the swamp only to be met by Humperdinck and his men. Buttercup then barters for Wesley's life and is again taken from him by Humperdinck. After Humperdinck leaves with Buttercup, Wesley meets Humperdinck's six-fingered right-hand man. When Wesley lets the fingered man know that he knows someone who is looking for him, the man knocks Wesley out to take him to the pit of despair. When Wesley wakes, he finds himself being treated by an albino man who lets him know he is to be tortured to death. The scene then switches to show Buttercup walking through the castle depressed, and Humperdinck says, well, it's probably due to his father's ailing health. That night, though, the king dies, and Humperdinck and Buttercup are to be married in the morning. When Buttercup is introduced to the people as queen, one older woman boos her for not marrying her true love. At that moment, Buttercup wakes with a start and goes to Humperdinck to tell him that she will not marry him as she loves Wesley. Humperdinck offers to send the six-finger man to have, a sh have ships find Wesley, but states if Wesley cannot be found, then she should consider him an option to suicide. The next day, Humperdinck and the Six-Finger Man, Tyrone, discuss their plans to kill Buttercup to start a war with Gilder as they walk to the Pit of Despair. Tyrone then goes into the pit and begins to torture Wesley with the machine. That night, Humperdinck has a knight named Yellen gather a brute squad to clear out the thieves' forest to prevent Buttercup's death at the hand of the Gilder, in quotations. When the brute squad goes to clear out the woods, a Spaniard, Inigo, gives them trouble. Once they try to force Inigo out, Fezzik arrives and helps Inigo leave and sober up. Once Inigo is sober, Fezzik tells him that the Six-Finger Man is in the castle guarded by 30 knights. Knowing that they cannot defeat that many man to, men to enter the castle, Inigo convinces Fezzik to help them find the man in the mass so that he could enact his revenge. The scene then switches to show Yellen's report that force is empty and the guards were, are doubled. As the two talk, Buttercup enters to confront Humperdinck as she believes he did not send for Wesley. Angry from her confrontation, Humperdinck rushes to the pit of despair and kills Wesley with the machine. Wesley's screams were so loud that Fezzik and Inigo hear him from the village. The two then rush to find Wesley in the woods. After Fezzik accidentally knocks out the albino, Inigo uses her sword to find the secret knot in the tree that leads to Wesley. Once they find Wesley, Inigo realizes, well, he's dead, and rushes his body over to a miracle worker, Miracle Max. After convincing Miracle Max to let them in, Max finds out that Wesley is only mostly dead and not fully dead, and is willing to give is willing to make a miracle pill to screw over Humperdinck. At the castle, Fezzik and Inigo give Wesley the miracle pill, waking Wesley almost instantly. Once caught up in the situation, Wesley quickly makes a plan for the three to enter the castle. That night, as the three men storm the castle in a blaze of fire, literally, Humperdinck rushes the wedding so Buttercup and he are married before Wesley can stop the wedding. Humperdinck then sends Buttercup off to her suite with his father, with his father as he goes to deal with the intruders. As the three men look for Buttercup, they run into the six-fingered man, and Inigo runs after him. Fezzik follows to help Inigo, leaving Wesley behind, and when he returns to find Wesley, well, Wesley's gone. The scene then switches to show Buttercup entering a room to kill herself and finds Wesley in her bed. Excited that he has come for her, Buttercup goes to kiss him and finds out that he can't move. The scene then switches back to Inigo and the Six-Fingered Man after the Six-Fingered Man has stabbed him. Inigo then stands back up and the two start fighting as Inigo repeats his threat over and over and over again, eventually killing the Six-Fingered Man. 
The scene then switches back to Wesley and Buttercup just as Humperdinck arrives. Humperdinck goes to kill Wesley, but Wesley stops him by telling him he will leave Humperdinck disfigured for the rest of his life. After Buttercup ties up Humperdinck, Nego comes in to look for Fezzik. Just as they realized he was missing, Fezzik calms from the courtyard below with four horses. White horses. The three then jump from the window into Fezzik's arms and ride away. The movie ends with the young boy asking for his grandfather to come back the next day to read it to him again. That was a lot. My God, Nadine, my eyes hurt. I didn't know hurt. how to shorten it because there's so much that happens all at once and it's like small shit that's constant and very quick. And I was like, I don't know how to shorten this at all without like skipping entire scenes. Well, you're not, you're not wrong. I wouldn't have shortened it either because there was a lot of good stuff in there. And uh, even then I was like, well, I noticed that you cut trimmed some pieces out here and there. But like if you had added everything good, it would have been yeah. like five pages. Yeah, I think one of the reasons is so much of this movie is just so memorable and like so. Oh yeah. Unique that like I, it's hard to cut anything out. This, I have to say that uh, before we really start going into the review in the movie, um, and like favorite parts and whatnot is uh, this movie is one of those very few movies that I can sit down and rewatch. And we've been over this right. Like, I don't like rewatching movies. I like watching it once because that initial, like, glamour of watching a movie for the first time is gone after you watch it again. But this movie, I can watch every single time and still have that stupid, shitty grin on my face from all of the dumb dad jokes and stupid little things that go on. Right? Yep. And from the very, very, very beginning of the movie all the way to the very end, it's just I have a smile on my face. I guess the only things I really don't like would be the uh like the grandfather um and the kid but they have to make it like an actual story well, you that's know that's how that's how the book I is set like up when you, the original <laughs> book is literally because i yeah. i actually i read mm -hmm. the original book i didn't know this was based off a book and i found it a couple of years ago and i bought it and i loved it it's almost exact to the movie i actually cut out some interesting facts that were up at the top because i just had i had three pages of interesting facts when I was originally doing this, which is why I was like, you have to let me get through this because I had cut out so much mm -hmm. and I still had over two pages. So there's only a few things that's different in the book between the movie. There's lines that are literally taken from the book that I remember being from the movie when I was reading the, the book that they just took from the book and they put in the movie. The only thing that's different, I think they don't have the shrieking eels. It's actually shark infested waters, I'm pretty sure. And I think there was one other thing and I can't remember quite what it was. Uh, that was different, but they were so minor that they didn't really take away from the story and actually adding the eels into the story ended up making the movie better. Yeah, because I feel like the shrieking aspect of it was just, it was more exactly. climactic. Exactly, I made it more entertaining. Um, so this is one of those few movies, like typically when we review movies, one of my big talking points is like the graphics and well the quality of animation or we're talking about like just a standard movie um the quality of the cinematography and everything right i i i'll be honest with you i didn't even notice any issues at all with the camera usage in this entire movie so that alone gives major props but the comedic stuff for example when they're uh when they are on the cliff right and you see Andre the Giant, um, or Physic, climbing, and his legs don't move. He's literally just lifting him up with his bare arms, right? I cracked up so much when I watched it the first time. And every time I watch it, it cracks me up again because that doesn't make sense, but it doesn't need to because he's, he's, he's strong, you know? And then uh, the same thing happens with the masked bandit behind them or whatever. He didn't climb up with his legs either until the very, very end. And I was cracking up with that. But even though there's those small things, it doesn't detract from the movie. It actually adds to the comedic value of it. So I loved how the movie was produced. And I won't even go into the music aspect I actually of it, think which they did an really, amazing really job good. with the sound effects for this movie. Like, this doesn't feel like a $30 million budget. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned, like, how rewatchable this movie. I think my mom had to cut me off because I wouldn't asked to watch this movie over and over again when I was, like, between the ages of four and five. Like, it's just one of those movies that is just... Like, crack, it's, dude. It's like comfort food for a movie. It really is! Like, this movie's just so comforting. Like, 
it's it's it doesn't have any like major downs. It's like just a positive vibe throughout the entire movie. And even when you know, even when you know Wesley dies, he doesn't actually die, and you don't get the feeling like, oh no, he's dead. Like no, it's instantly funny. Like it's just a relaxing movie, and it's like one of those. It's if I always mix this movie up with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't know how because of just the the continuous. I it's just how I grew up. The continuous enjoyment factor. Those two movies, this one and the Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and those two movies where it's just like, I can just watch it again and again and again. It's always funny to me. Okay, I've watched those movies a million times and I do not get them mixed up. I'm going to be honest, John, because they're completely two different movies. <laughs> Monty Python and the Holy Grail is just, it's like chaotic, funny. It's chaotic energy and funny. This is not nearly as chaotic. It is, it is more of a calming movie. They do have some chaos in it, don't get me wrong, but it's like, it's definitely a movie that plays on yeah, the tropes that everyone loves. And does it so well that you don't care. Yeah, it's a coherent story. And, like, the individual performances just outweigh, like, the, what's actually going on in the movie. Right. Definitely. Like, a lot of personalities in this uh, movie. In Monty Python, it's more just chaotic comedy. That's kind of what they were known for. Yeah. Um, and, and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, like, it's not a relaxing movie really to watch, but it is really funny. It is comfort food, but it's just a different kind of comfort food. But I always I always mix the two up because I watch them around the same age. Um, and whenever I think of those movies, I but and there's also another movie I forget with the one with the the guy raw writes a Z on the tree with his sword or whatever. Zorro. Zorro. Is it Zorro? Yeah. Yeah, it's another movie I always mix up. Yeah, I always mix those three movies up. But um, outside of me being a dumbass, <laughs> like the comedic aspects of this movie were gold. But, and I see that you actually wrote it here too, Nadine, that fucking scene where he, they're uh, physic asks, um, you know, like, why is he wearing a mask? And he's like, well, they're comfortable. You know, I have a feeling that everyone will wear them in the future. I got really cold feet. I was, I was like, like oh, is, no. What? I watched it. <laughs> oh, God. I've watched this movie several times during the pandemic, too. I watched it two weeks ago just for shits and giggles, like, not even for the podcast. And um, I, like, never realized it until I actually had to do the synopsis for it. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is uncomfortable now that I actually think about it. Like, <laughs> like, like cold sweat. I was like, uh, this is really weird. Everyone's going to have to wear masks in the future. Like, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I've seen this movie so many times. I never really remember that line or, like, why it was funny. <laughs> like, like, it kind of makes no sense, but... Seeing it now, it's like, oh, geez, it's like one of those timeless like, comedy. Uh, well, they, timeless comedy. I think it's just a coincidence. Just it is. To, it's all. It's nothing but a coincidence. He's literally just saying some bullshit, you know. Yeah. But it's just the comedy just ended up working out even better in this movie because of that, and it's just ew, freaky. I did want to say no. something that I thought was pretty interesting in this movie when he went through those trials with the three, like Anito, Fezic, and Vizini. I noticed that the only one he killed was Vizini, and it was because Vizini was, I think, like, out for his own gain or whatever, and kind of just wasn't about honor at all. So I feel like he kept alive, like, Fezzik and Inigo simply because of honor. That's it. Like, he would have killed them otherwise. I thought it was because of the value that they had. Not like, oh, thinking ahead, but, like, just the way they were as a person. He was like, oh, it'd be a waste to kill you, or it'd be a waste to kill you, because you have more use. And then he sees Vizini, and Vizini is a shrewd little just ass, right? Yeah. And he's like, well, there's no real use for you, because you're clearly just, you know, an ass, and then just does whatever. You yeah, know, the, he... way, the way I always saw it, the only real bad guy is Vizini. The other two are just kind of like, it's they're, he just hired them to help him, like, carry out his, like, nonsense. Right. still like Vizini, though. He's so funny. Right. Inconceivable! I think he's the most annoying character. He's like one of my favorite pet guys ever. Uh, both of oh you. Oh my god, I love this dude. I, I so. think he's so annoying. His annoyingness is just right. I don't, like, yeah. his annoyingness is I would just say, right. Like, if they had it any more... And... I would say he's my least favorite. Least favorite. I don't know. When I first watched the movie... When I first watched the movie, I thought they were actually going to let him live. You know, because he was just so cool to the story. But then... Uh, if, if he doesn't die at that point, it, it would it would get... The, the joke would kind of go on. Yeah. <laughs> Inconceivable! <laughs> I just can't. But what what he gives to the movie, I I, I appreciate. I appreciate, yeah, yeah. I'm not really saying does. that I don't appreciate what he gives, but I do think he's like the most annoying character. And I feel like if any more than what they had him in there, I probably wouldn't. I probably would have liked the movie less. Like they had him in just the right amount. 
uh, for people not to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Can I also say that, uh, like, just in a general sense, the, app, the, the limited amount of characters for this movie and the cast that's in this movie just... It's so well done. And I know the book is probably like this too, but since we're only rating the movie, not the book, Nadine, yeah. it's just really interesting to see like a movie with a limited cast because, I mean, let's, let's be honest, there wasn't that many memorable characters in this movie besides the main memorable ones. All the other characters outside of that were just kind of like... Uh -huh introduction for a split second and they're they're, they're not done. really i remember that all those characters yeah I don't yeah i remembered miracle max he was there for a split second and then he was done yeah. i remember the king the king cracked me up i'd like i love the king and he was only in this movie for a few scenes again you have um the pope uh i'm not really sure if he's a pope or not but he looks like a pope uh who was marrying the prince humperdinck and buttercup the, with his shitty accent, where it's the, every R he turned to a W, so he was speaking ooh, yeah. and it really freaked Everybody me out and made me uncomfortable. That, yeah, because that's that a guy. meme. Like it's a meme. So like he's only there for literally one scene, and he's memorable. So like even the guard, the guard cracked me up. I think I've seen him on like several memes before, and he the uh, yelling. Yeah, the the boo, the boo lady. lady. Yelling, where he's like, uh, rip his arm. He's like, where's the key? I don't know what key you're talking about. Fezzik rip his arms off. Oh, you mean this key? <laughs> I was just like, okay. And the boo lady, <laughs> she was there for one scene, like Dan said. <laughs> yeah, that used to give me like nightmares as a kid, like because my my brothers would like make fun of me and say like boo boo boo, and like I guess uh, as a five year old, I don't know like what's going on there, but There's some deep sitting. That's one of my least memorable <laughs> scenes. That the yeah, but like this this movie is like. As you said before, it's just comfort food, man. It's just a pure, enjoyable experience. The characters uh, were memorable. The, there weren't too many people to remember. They all had something to contribute. And it's just... Uh, what's that other movie we watched like a few months back that was sort of similar in vibe to this? It was like a fantasy movie or whatever? I know. You know how many movies we watch? Dan actually <laughs> picked this one. Okay. Dan picked this one. It was like... Are you talking oh, about Big Fish? It was like a, it was like an adventure one or whatever. I hate it. Big it was fish. Big Fish, right? Big fish. It's the I same. It, I, okay, I mean, I actually kind of liked it a little bit, but all right. I love good Big Fish, but yeah, I, this I don't, this is not in the same stratosphere as no. But like, no, you can stratosphere as this movie, like. But you can not. see, you can see though, like I enjoyed the comfort vibes from that movie. This movie just takes it to a ten, and I think this yeah. movie came out before, yeah, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a good like 10, 10 plus years before. Well, I think even yeah. more than ten. I think it was. I don't like, know. This didn't this, this movie come great. out in the eighties? Like, it was like the late eighties, I yeah. thought. Maybe it was the nineties. Hold on. I'm pretty sure it was like yeah, eighty six. But I like I just oh my god, this movie was so nice. And I don't normally get movies like this where I can sit down and I don't have to worry about not enjoying the movie. I've been waiting for Princess Bride for a long time, and I've also been putting it off for a long time because I have a feeling, I had a feeling this would be one of the last movies I'd enjoy okay. for a little bit. So you're gonna like, like, so, no, then you're gonna like the next movie, even though you've never seen it, which makes you a fucking crazy person. But you'll like it. it I've never met a person who watched it who didn't like that movie. Well, I'll be your first person, Nadine. Yeah, you'll be like literally giving me like fucking aneurysm with that shit. <laughs> so, uh, there's another uh, there's another thing that you wrote in here, Nadine. The oh, what is it? The where Anigo chases the six finger man around. Favorite scene. So, not my favorite scene. My favorite scene is when he's when uh Wesley is all floppy on the castle wall. Like that's just so so good. <laughs> and they he literally moves his head around to like say yes or no. But this scene was really good. For the fact that there's so much build up to this. Like it's gonna be this really glorious fight, right? And then and he goes like, you know, blah blah blah, this prepare to die. And then the guy just like pulls out his sword, they they go and then he just turns around and just runs. <laughs> He's like, What? No. And then just starts chasing after as well. Like that's that's comedy right there. Like that's just that's so well so well written. No, my my favorite scene's always been the uh, the kind of the trials of like him going through 
Inigo. Uh, that's yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> Zini. Yeah, my my favorite one out of all three though is definitely the Fezzik one, personally. But uh, I like, I was like yeah, I like the fencing too. But I did like the fencing, but there's something about seeing Andre the Giant that just makes me ha- smile. But when uh that when he dies and he's brought back to life with chocolate to help smooth it down because you know he's dead, he can totally taste that. Um, and he wakes up just instantly, and then he can't move; like he's all floppy. And then uh, Fezzik's like, oh, you moved your thumb. Congratulations. Like, so supportive. But then pushes his head over the side of the uh, the wall. <laughs> he's in the most uncomfortable position. He's like, look, they have soldiers. Like, that's just, there's something comedy about seeing a floppy Wesley for the remainder of the movie. It was just so good. I mean, I do think that's really funny. I just, um, I think, I think, I don't know. I think the Vecini, the, not the Vecini, sorry, the Nigo one is just funnier because it's supposed to be this like moment where you have like the big bad, just like you said, and he just runs off. But I think it was perfectly done by the guy who who played Count Rugen, the six fingered man, because the expression on his face, you thought for sure, if you were watching this for the first time, that he was actually going to fight him. And then it changes at the last second and he runs off and you're like, okay, well, that was not expected at all. Yeah, I know. That goes back down to the actors they chose. Like, every tidbit on everything. Like, the punchlines were just so good for everything because of the actors. That's why I said, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, would have sucked the in this right, movie. He wasn't just like, wasn't right Like, really person. bad. Because, let's be real, Arnold... Let's be real, Arnold Schwarzenegger, love him to death, you know, but, like, he, his acting talent just really wasn't up to par for this. You know, he he's just got like boom, boom, pow, and very aggressive. But like, no, I've never seen him do anything else. How. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, exactly. He's like definitely a trick pony. I don't think he I've knows how to cry. Him. He's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's, he like he, the whole point of his character is to be—he's a one-dimensional character. That's that's what he plays. But no, I I really 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 appreciated this movie. Um, so. One of the, uh, I loved just the minor plot twist of the Dread Pirate done, Roberts, right? On how, uh, it really was because, like, oh, well, Wesley died. Well, okay, there's gonna be a new character, right? And then you see Wesley, because, I, I don't know, like, he's wearing the, the, the worst disguise in the world because, I mean, that man's got some gorgeous eyes that you can just tell from yeah, a, His jawline is his no, best No, his jawline. His eyes are his best. Okay, let's stop man-milking <laughs> this dude. And that's the one his thing jaw. that's exposed yeah. with the mask. It's like, a mile how do away. that? But it's just, he's got such a prominent, he's got such a prominent face. He's just gorgeous, but he just covers half his face, and then he just... I don't know how everyone was like, oh yeah, it's, Dude, it's Wesley again. Like, was... I knew immediately, right? I was, was like, who the f- movie, why is like... he here? I thought he died. I, I like, my mom was watching this movie. It's like Castle for Christmas or something like that. It was on Netflix. And I saw it, and I, he plays one of the characters in it. And he's like, obviously much older. I recognize that man from a mile away. How can you fucking old, not recognize him if he's supposed to be your true love with that goddamn jawline? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care how the mask is shaped. The jawline is what you need to cover up for us not to recognize him. Oh my god. And I loved their little argument, too. Where he's just doing a jealous little spat with Buttercup. Like, yeah, but you just turned around, like, you know, less than... What'd you, what'd you cry for? Like, a week? A day? And then you turned around and went for this man? I'm like, shut the fuck up, Wesley. <laughs> shut the fuck up. And then, and then he gets pushed down the cliff. And then rolls in the most fantastic fashion, and his mask just so conveniently flies off. And she's like, oh no, Wesley, I can tell who you are, even though you're spinning in a fucking circle now. Um, And then she decides to go down. No, she knew who he was from what he said. She knew who he was from what he said, not from the mask coming off. The mask came off, he took it off himself when he got to the bottom. He said, as you wish, and that's how she knew who he was. Yeah, the, the as you wish is the is the hit that gave her the that sparked her memory. <laughs> so sorry though, her and her going, oh no, Wesley, oh my god, and then just she trips dove, and starts bro. rolling as Didn't well. Didn't even trip, literally dove. Like, I'm she threw sorry, her whole what? Body down. 
She just threw herself into a role. I was like, what is this? Can you just, like, I don't know, walk down like a civilized person? Why do you have to roll? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, easier thing to do. Might take longer. Less bruises, less scrapes, less chance of a broken bone. Walk down the hill. <laughs> nope. She just went channeled her inner 13-year-old and went, yeet, and just jumped down. Oh, my God, man. Oh, this movie was so good. Um, also, the uh, the scene where she's arguing with him and there's quicksand or whatever, and then uh, she or then she she walks forward, right? And just she's like, okay, walks forward and then just steps and then disappears. Like <laughs> she wasn't arguing with him. I thought no. they were. Were they he just was chatting? telling her about her being the Dread Pirate Roberts and how the whole line oh, of it, yeah, it, was, it that was that conversation. conversation she was like i think confused a little bit about it because that's the look on her face that she had like or maybe it was just like a lot to take in or whatever so i think she just wasn't paying attention and she stepped immediately into quicksand which is not how quicksand works but she went straight down oh yeah that that w- i think was the the start of the trauma of everyone's fear of quicksand growing oh up. yeah was just yeah. seeing her disappear. And then him freaking pulling out a branch and diving in. Oh, man. I just... Ew. And then, like, there's that, like, silence where you're just staring at the puddle of, of like, quicksand, and you're not sure what's going to happen next. And then a giant rat thing, or R-O-U-S, <laughs> just walks over and snoops it and then walks away. Dude, I just couldn't. This, this movie just has a lot to take in, and we... There's so many good scenes in this movie. Like Yeah, like beat for beat, this is just I also movie. really like Yeah. There's no there's no down. No, there isn't. And I really like and it's Go subtle ahead, and you don't even notice it unless you like watch it a million times. At the end, like as they're jumping out of the castle window, uh Wesley offers the Dread Pirate Roberts role to Inigo because he doesn't know what to do with the rest of his life because he already had his revenge. And then, like, they just skip to them running off oh, yeah. in the distance. I'll, I'll be honest. Anigo looks more like a pirate anyway, so, I mean, it kind of fits him a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Dude has the most the most glorious Spaniard <laughs> hair I've ever seen. Oh, that'd be such a cool sequel to see what Anigo does as the, the Dread Pirate Robin, but... No, this this movie this movie is a sequel-less movie and should stay like that forever. It on its own and never be retouched or redone. Like, it's, it's perfect the way it is. Yep. In fact, I don't even want to remaster. I wanted to keep the same aged feel to it because it's just it's. So I'm looking for it on VHS now. That's, but that's not a remaster. It's just VHS, dude. I want to go back to VHS. So just, just shut up. There's only so many movies on VHS. I don't understand the craze. That's like, I mean, you could put new movies on VHS, but like, what's the point? Oh, I know. Okay. Anyways, that I just never understood the VHS craze. That's like people obsessed with getting like Atari systems to play Atari games. Like, why don't you just? This is exactly what it is. Just just... I don't think it. Nothing is better on VHS. We have a PlayStation yeah. Two. Um, do you really think yeah. that the PlayStation Two is better than the PlayStation it. like three or four or whatever the fuck's out at this point? No, it's just nostalgia. I like hearing the sound of the PlayStation turning on. <laughs> oh, you mean the. Oh, okay, the peaceful jingle of uh, the GameCube turning on, the happy little sound of the Nintendo 64, and the screaming death noises of the PS2 when it turns on. The nostalgia of getting scared in the middle of the night because you accidentally tapped that button and screamed for your life because you left your TV on. Yeah, I remember. I loved it. I love it. I do. I, I really do love it. I guess. Yeah, I, and we have a Nintendo 64, too. And every time I turn that thing on, I'm always just like, the sounds that it makes, I'm just like, oh, this is this is me. This is childhood right here. I do have a GameCube here as well, so I guess that's yeah, true. No, I'm trying to hunt down a GameCube, but I had a GameCube, but my older brothers took but it point... and brought it to Florida and left all the fucking GameCube games behind and took all my Nintendo 64 games. And I'm like, I don't really know if you know how game systems work, but uh, Nintendo 64 games do not go into a GameCube. Well. Um, bringing it back a little bit, I can see the nostalgia factor of it, but, um, this movie really is a standalone as is, should never be touched. Everything about this movie is very high quality in a low quality way, if that makes sense. 
Like, with their budget and what they had, they didn't do the flashy, they didn't go over the top, they didn't try and make something revolutionary, they literally just followed a book exactly as it was, with some minor tweaks, and made a near-perfect film Which, out of it. Honestly, so I'm very, I'm very happy they did. What they did though, because I love to read, obviously. And like, I mean, you guys heard me read about talk about books throughout this entire podcast. And there's a lot of movies out there where they just fuck up. Like, they really, really fuck up. And even movies that are great that are based off of books leave out like Hunger Games. Hunger Games, I liked um, a lot, but they still missed a lot of stuff that were in the books that they could have put in the movies, but it would have been harder to. And I it, I wouldn't have been able to figure it out, obviously. But, like, there's things oh. like in Lord of the Rings, they left out scenes that were in the books that they could have put in the movies. Oh, God, that reminds me of the, the Aragon, Aragon failure. One of my favorite I loved franchises. Aragon. The movie was horrible because they tried putting a 3,000-page book into a two-hour-long movie, and that's just not how it works. You have to split it up. And... And they, and they still cut it into two they movies still and still yeah. failed. Like, how? My thing is, is like, <laughs> they, with, they, with this movie, they did it perfectly. They did something that's almost impossible, or at least seems to be almost impossible to do when it comes to getting a book and putting turning it into a movie or taking a book and turning it into a TV show. You know, in a TV show, they make it way more dramatic than they are. They add things in there that they don't need to add in. Um they did that with the Pretty Little Liar series. They did that with uh, the Bridgerton series. Not that I didn't like Bridgerton. Wasn't Breaking Bad also a movie, also a book? No, I don't series, think so. Or was that no? I don't think so. Okay, because it, it uh, and that exact they, vibe though I get from that, that series with, as well, where everything's over dramatized a lot. Dexter was a really good book series. I liked the book series. They were dry, but I kind of like some dry books. Um, and the, the TV show, they added more into it than they did. They made it a little more dramatic than they did. They also actually went completely off of what the book series entirely had in there and just went on their own entire adventure. And that is something that I like that this movie did is they kept to the book almost identically and they made it so to the point where if they weren't going to stay like exact to the book, they were going to make it something that was going to be entertaining, like turning the sharks into screeching eels. Like it just worked, you know, and they did an amazing job and that yeah. doesn't usually happen is what I'm saying. Like they did it so well that I am actually impressed with the amount of money that they had to use for this movie. For a low budget on what it's not really low. It's a pretty normal budget, but for a lower budget right. for a movie of this scale, right. For a lower budget, and yet they still somehow managed to turn this movie into something that should have been way right. higher budgeted. Like, it takes very, very good talent to, to, to do that. So, yes, I absolutely agree with you. And I don't, I actually am trying to think of a movie, and I have been since you started this conversation, another movie that followed so perfectly the book. And it is very Extremely hard to think hard, of. Extremely hard, right? Because they didn't even do it with very, the Harry very Potter hard to series. There's a lot of stuff that they left out from the books in the movies. The movies are. Oh, they did screwed up the Harry Potter <laughs> the series. Yeah, that's sort of the series that the one of the few movies like I, I actually like really like the movies for Harry Potter. Don't get me wrong, but they I mean, did leave out so much, and they did the same thing with Lord of the Rings, and they did the same thing when uh, with The Hobbit, and they did the same thing with The Hunger Games, and pretty much any movie that's based off of a book. I've never you watched haven't? Lord of the Rings. Have you read the I've books? I've never watched Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Nope. You bring it up all the time. Nope. All I know is that there's Gandalf right, and Frodo in a ring. You gotta and watch some it. You gotta read the books. Dude. The books are so fucking good. I read all of them. How are we? How are we doing on time, Nadine? We can like literally just go over, or we can talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that we liked about the movie, or that we thought were in, was in, like specific scenes that we thought were interesting. Because I figured you guys were going to talk about scenes that you thought were your favorite. Honestly. Okay. Well, I do have a. Uh, I do have another scene, and that is the torture machine. Yes. Um, the absolute ingenuity of what that was. I don't even know how he died. <laughs> I, I still don't really, I still don't understand how he even got tortured, right? But he put suction cups to his head and, and rolled a, uh, a, um, a water thing, and then somehow well, it, that killed him. So the funny thing is, like, I remember, like, the, like, one of the Olympics, like, all the swimmers put, like, suction cups on their, on their backs and stuff to, like, I guess help blood flow or something. I'm like, that's the torture machine from Princess Bride. And also the, the albino. 
Like that guy. I, when he st- first he, he he started his conversation off being really raspy, and then he choked and coughed and just t- spoke in the most <laughs> normal voice ever. That was gold. Like, like that wasn't that even funny. Character. That was gold. Like just that whole character, just in a nutshell, is just amazing. <laughs> like the like the comedic genius of and that he- one character. So creepy looking, but he's like, he's just a normal guy. He just comes off a little weird, you know. That's that's literally it. He's completely normal. <laughs> he doesn't even belong in this entire movie. He's just kind of there. Just happens to be albino. Just happens to have a you know a stuffy throat when he first tried to talk, and then he coughed, and it all came. It just it's so perfectly normal. It freaked me out when I I heard it because he was like all raspy. I'm like, oh okay, they're gonna go with this. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways and i'm like what is this the, the guy was perfect for the part two like his normal voice was the most perfect voice to come out of him like honestly with the way they did his makeup <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> oh my god or like the just the small details too like uh like how he got bit on the shoulder, right? And he wasn't very bloody at first, but the longer the uh, the longer he was sitting there and laying down in different scenes, he got bloodier and bloodier and bloodier. Like just small details. He smudged more like blood makeup on him. He did, and like he he like he picked it up and it was red, so he put it in a little tiny cup of water and then rubbed it again. It was even bloodier than before, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> there is one line that uh, I think uh, Andre the Giant says to to the cd it's like after he's saying like inconceivable inconceivable he's like you know what I, i'm starting to feel like i don't ego. really know what that word means oh yeah. Yeah, it wasn't andre the giant it was an ego yeah oh, yeah he, he, an he ego, said yeah. he said i forget which one uh it literally looks at when he was that like, was like cracked that up. word you keep using it i don't think it means what you think it means <laughs> it's like that's fucking funny because it's true i don't really think he does <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Vizzini is just such a good character, and his interactions with everyone are just so gold, because, like, what about when, um, you know, uh, Fezzik, the giant, and uh, Nigo were just literally rhyming back and forth, right? And, uh, get, you know, Fezzik's, like, you know, his uh, mood back up, they're, like, rhyming back and forth, and he's like, wow, you're really good at rhyming, you know? And then Vizzini's like, stop, damn it! Move the ship! something and he does something like that and then uh and then he just rhymes it one more time and you just hear his howling across the lake like come on man like that's actually good like that's pure comedy yeah that i know what you're talking about i forget what the, the exact line is the and you know for all it's worth nadine you say vizzini like is an annoying character but the most memorable thing about this entire movie if i had to choose one thing and one thing alone, yes. it'd be the damn yes. word inconceivable. Every time I see that word, I hear that word, I think of that word, it's this movie. It's either that or uh, when the Pope says mowage. Every time I hear that word, I'm like, I know what this movie, what, it comes, what movie this comes from. Every time I hear it, mowage. <laughs> do, you, do you have the wing? Do you have the wing? <laughs> Just like God... <laughs> Stop speaking oo-woo. It's so weird. Every time I see that scene, I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I just laugh. I'm dying every time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What about when Buttercup kisses the king? And he's like, well, you're such a nice man, but I'm going to be killing myself when I get back to the room. And he smiles. He's like, oh, that's so sweet. And then just turns away like, and walks off. Like, I got a kiss. Oh, that's, that's nice, dear. <laughs> like, no, turns she around, could. walks with her. She has a confused look on her face. And he's like, she kissed me. She kissed me. <laughs> like, so excited. Ex- exuberance of a small just, child, like, but in an I'm old stunned. man body. <laughs> I love it. Or when, uh, like, literally right after when... um. When Wesley is, t- like, literally unable to move from the bed, and yet he somehow managed to convince the man that he would torture him in probably the most worst way possible. And the dude, and, uh, the dude's just like, oh, no, you're right, and then sits in the chair, waits to be tied up, and the moment he ties up, and he, he, he can't get up, and he almost stumbles, and then he's like, I knew it! I knew you were faking! You're tied like, up in really? a chair right now. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, that, that is another good seed. Yeah, it's like, well, what are you gonna do now? You, you kind of screwed yourself. This this movie was just so brilliant. Alrighty, so it's about time for us to move over. If you guys have any other extra points to put in, like anything about the music or the sound effects, which were gold in this movie as well. Um, my favorite, my favorite sound, uh, it's music related, is when they were actually on the ship. And they were just kind of quietly coasting, going towards the island. The music started kicking in, and it was really, really, really well done. Because it was such peaceful, lovely music in the most ridiculous way. Because this should not have been peaceful and lovely after they're kidnapping a woman and dragging her across the um. seas to lift her up off a cliff. Like, the music was just really, really good. And the slight out-of-placeness of the music even made that funny, too. What about you, Dan? Uh, I think the one thing... The one other thing that always, like, strikes me about this movie is the, the guy that plays the grandpa. Yeah, he did a good job. Like, his voice is, like, what every grandfather should sound like. When like, I was you, younger... You can smell, like, the cigar smoke and, like, the pipe smoke and, like, just, like, the old leathery... Like, he... He's a grandpa, and like I, I think just his voice is like part of like one of the more, I guess, standout things that I remember. Actually, it's movie. funny that you mentioned the grandpa because when I was younger, and before I actually realized, you know, keep like character characteristics, like the, how people look, I legitimately thought before the movie ended that the grandpa was going to walk out of the room, and there's going to be a picture of him and his wife, and it's literally going to be those two, Wesley and. Uh, you know, and um, her or whatever, Buttercup. And then I kind of, and then now that I'm older, I look back on it and I'm like, that's really stupid. But that would have been a really interesting way to end the movie, too, in like a completely subtle way. But they didn't do that. It at wouldn't all. have it's quite made sense either whatsoever. because the, just somehow the I whole premise it like of it that. was the grandfather coming to read a story. And they're based in modern times, like the 80s. So I wouldn't have made that much sense unless they like time traveled or something. But. Mm-hmm. For me, I, my favorite sound in this movie was probably the Shrieking Eels, but I would like to put out here the costume design that they had for this movie. It was subtle, but, like, stunning. All the dresses that Buttercup was in, they were amazingly detailed. Like, that had to have cost a huge chunk of change because whoever did it was incredibly talented. Well, that and uh, a lot of times, um, like, that type of princess gown type of stuff is very un-American, too. So, like, seeing that, because this was all supposed to be in, like, Europe, or the olden days of Europe, right? So, like, seeing that was just, like, really, really neat. I, I definitely liked it. Just the general costume design for everyone, too, was really detailed. In a simple way. Like, they didn't go over the top to make it look like it was so realistic. They did very, very simple, uh, simple costumes. There was even a scene where I saw um, Wesley running away after fighting um, Inigo Montoya. And I literally saw him wearing sneakers. Like, he wasn't wearing his boots. He was literally wearing sneakers. So, like, they didn't do it so over the top. And if you look really close, you can find the faults of it. But even then, like, they put so much effort into just making it to feel realistic, but not enough to make it feel weird. So, yes, I absolutely agree with you, Nadine. The costume design in this movie was fantastic. It wasn't that it was it's un-American to see those kinds of things. Like obviously that's not an American style, that's a European style well before I think. Um, like it was popular during a time over in Europe with the upper class. I don't think it ever came over here, that specific style. I think it's considered called the Empire Waste. Was oh, here comes her history knowledge. Empire Waste, I'm pretty sure, was like in a particular was in two di particular different time periods. And the way that they did the costume design here, I don't think was ex exactly accurate, which I wasn't expecting for this movie. But the way that they did the costumes, it didn't really matter because it was they were so beautifully done. Like those dresses in particular, the, the detail that they had, like you don't understand how hard it is to put fucking beading and have beading and fucking patterns on something. And those things were not done mechanically. That was hand-stitched. There's no way to put beading on like that in any other way except for by hand. It's, like, amazing how many hours whoever made those dresses for her put in. So, I have one last thing to say, Nadine, that we can go to the review. Um, is it me or is Humperdinck kind of remind you guys of Lord Farquaad? A little. Yes. Yeah. 
like in ev- uh, like every time I th- every time I saw him, it's just the way he acted, the snarky bullshit he pulled. Everything smelled like Lord Farquaad, or vice versa, where Lord Farquaad was just a replica of him. That's probably yeah, more I, accurate. I think it's definitely probably more accurate that way, but, but yeah, like just, even, even the name Purperdink, like that's Humperdink. Like that's such a terrible yeah, name. It's such a Humperdink. Humperdink. Like, like that's so bad. Like it just yeah, it's a horrible name. And it but the way that they did it was it was the best. It was a great the whole thing was great. All right. Before I get we get too crazy on right, it, you can stop fangirling now. Yeah, before we get too crazy on it, all let's right. go to the next thing. Is it or isn't it? Uh, I'm gonna go out and say absolutely is. Um, the only reason why I struggle with this a little bit more is because it's gotten way more popular now. Um, but if speaking on what literally it has every single factor of a cult movie, so I'm going to say yes. It's just now it's a lot more popular than it used to be. Dan? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of uh, in the same boat as you are, where it's like, has this gotten to the point where, like, almost everybody has heard of this, where it's not really, it's almost dipping the It's a household name now, not even it's a household cult classic. Name. Not, not really pop, but, like, it's household name. But no, I, I think it's ultimately just a, a shining example of a cult classic. Oh, diamond in a rough. Um, so I, I would say it has gotten more like popular in the years in the more recent years but i don't think it's like con- considered a household name still um i would say it's not to the point where it's like where star wars started out as a cult movie and now it's its own fucking entity or even has gotten to the point where it's just a classic i think it's well known enough that it keeps it being watched but just like a cult movie would be but not well known enough that every single person has seen it every person probably has heard of it or a lot of people have probably heard of it uh but not everyone has probably watched it but it's just popular enough at this point that i think it keeps it going to be continue to be watched by future generations so i would say yeah it's definitely still a cool classic and i think it has fandoms to it that are like really hardcore like there's people who like watch the movie and read the book people that larp about this movie yeah that's what i'm saying like they're like they're very, people are very into it. Like it's a very select group that are even like crazier about it than like I am, and I love this movie. Yeah, well, this is definitely a type of movie that Wally would be watching in a few thousand years. So yes, I absolutely agree. Um. Okay. Uh, Nadine, let's go to the next section. Let's rate the movie. What do you think of the movie, Nadine? I'm gonna say I'm gonna rate last. I'm going to rate last. No, I'm rating last this time because right. I picked the movie. And then I'm second last. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first. I'll go right out there and just say, like, beat for beat, this is just a perfect movie to me, and it's it's a 10. Like, it, there's nothing I would change about this movie. There's not one moment in the movie that I, I would take out, think is out of place. It's a 10 to me. Okay. All right, Nadine. This is my first 10. Yes, finally. <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to be like, yeah, this is a 10. 7, because like, I didn't really enjoy it that much. And <laughs> I was going to come over to your place and just just slap you. <laughs> so even though Vizzini is an annoying character to me, and he would probably be the only reason I would put anything down for this movie, I think he does have a purpose to it, and he does have comedic gold to it he does add comedy to it his annoyingness and when people annoy him just makes me feel a little happier <laughs> and when he dies it kind of made me feel a little <laughs> happier too because i was like oh he's gone now everybody's annoyed by him even his two people that are like working no Dude, they I, died and everyone just moves on i was so traumatized i'm like right. i don't want to be like that and i die and everyone's just like yeah whatever but that's the thing like I felt that with every character, like I felt the exact same way that they did, did not like him, <laughs> but he added something to the movie that made it comedic. And there was every scene had a small amount of comedy. It wasn't over the head, like beating over the head with comedy and trying really hard. It was very simple. They did. It was very tasteful. The costume design was great. The music, the sound effects were great. It's just a timeless movie. And the way that they did is a movie that's filled with all the tropes that make you feel really good and that you really love. And that it executed it so fucking well that it made it a movie that I could watch a million times for the rest of my life because I've already watched it a million times. 
So um, I'm just going to finish the trifecta. This is obviously a 10 as well. Um, so this is our first movie, I think, all three of us have rated a 10, right? It's I the first movie that all of us yeah, have said. That was Now, generally speaking, I actually don't really like movies like this too much. Um, and whenever I watch movies, I like the, uh, the action aspect. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I was actually a fan of Kill Bill. Um, so when I, when I, I've watched this movie before, but if I hadn't have watched this movie and I got into this, it still would be a 10 because it was just pure enjoyment. There was no downtime. It didn't feel like you were waiting for something to happen. There, like everything felt like part of the climax. Like it was just a really, really solid, fun to watch movie. And at its core, that's all it should be. So for me, that is definitely a ten. I will probably be watching it again someday. Yeah. I'll be watching it eighty more times. I'll, like there's gonna be I a day where will. I'm not feeling good. I'm gonna well, pop that Well, when you guys are here, like this makes me feel great. <laughs> well, when you guys, when you guys live here with me, I have a feeling we're gonna be watching a fuck ton of movies. So I don't know. There's just something that feels like we're gonna be watching a lot of movies. I like movies. Alrighty. Would we recommend this movie? I'm just going to say obviously yes for me. Because, I mean, it's just, it's a good movie. Dan? Yes. Watch this. Like, if you have not seen this movie, go out there and find it. Just, just watch it. It's amazing. Yep. Nadine? It's a yes for me as well. Again, like Dan said, if you haven't watched it, you should totally watch it. It's one of those movies that's so liked by everyone that it's all over the fucking place. So it's easier access than uh, probably you a lot can of even stuff find, watch. You can even find it on disc. There's a lot of sites that give 1080p of this movie as well. So just find it, watch it. Where's that? Find it, watch it, come back to us. Oh, I'm talking about illegal sites, Nadine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're out there. Yeah. But uh, find it, watch it, come back to us, agree with us, because <laughs> if anyone rates this any lower than like a nine, I will just be upset. Alrighty, so I'm going to close out. If you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk to us about movies or talk with us about movies, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, Snazzy Podcast. It's S-N-A-S-Y Podcast. Instagram at Snazzy Podcast. Or you can email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. I know for a bit there, we were thinking about doing something with YouTube but it just seems like way much work so i don't yeah think not for the happen. time being it'll probably be a few months later <laughs> yeah dan and i are gonna buy a house and i'm getting a dog and i'm starting a new dog so i'm not we're not fucking doing that and they're um, also living with me <laughs> for a bit so yeah if you, you guys like what you hear if you, if you guys like what you hear please <laughs> rate review and subscribe it really helps get us out there and have more people find us we really would like more people to listen to the podcast we don't really have a ton of now or even just have the people who listen to the podcast email us tell us their opinions of the movies that we're watching or how they think we what they think is wrong with how we rate the movies because they have a different opinion whatever it is we we gotta hear it because we know with cult movies there's a reason why you love it and we want to know why you love it even if we don't just a heads up we will be reviewing my pick bill and ted's excellent adventure which john has never fucking seen before because he's on crack. Stop calling me out, baby. <laughs> I was born in like 96. I don't remember these cult movies okay, growing up. This movie came Princess Bride came out in 1986, and you haven't seen Bill and Ted's Excellent I was born in 91. Yeah, this but you know what? Princess yeah, Bride is yeah. the peak of all cult classics. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Whatever. And there's, and I, there's Bill anyway, and Ted's Excellent is, Adventure. <laughs> you're going to love it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good music in this movie. It was released in 1989 next. So make sure to tune in again. This episode will be released February 17th. Alrighty. Well, let's close it out then. Bye, guys. See ya. Bye.